0: Well, good morning. You know, it's been awesome to to be with you guys at the beginning of the year. And since the beginning of the year, we've started at the beginning of the Bible a few weeks ago, I was up here, and, and I talked about a few things like that, that we can get out of just the first chapter of, of the Bible. I mean, you know, the first. Three chapters that we've already gone through cover some amazing topics. I mean, off the bat, we, we looked at how God depends on nothing, and everything else depends on Him. Everything. Nothing would exist if it wasn't for God, who just existed alone, and, and therefore we ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. also talked about uh, the beginning of the universe, and I even brought in scientific evidence to show that the universe did begin to exist, and therefore that God created the universe from nothing. Don't worry, I'm not going to get into science today. And I get give enough of that to you a couple weeks ago. Um, but we talked about what it meant to be made in the image of God and how we're all created equal in the image of God. Um, and, and since we're all created in the image of God, it doesn't matter if one person is bigger then the other person, we're all created equal. It doesn't matter the skin color that somebody has because we're all created equal in the image of God. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. We're all created equal in the image of God. That, that's where the certain unalienable rights come from is because we are equal in God's image. And then after that, um, Mike talked about Adam and Eve and, and the Garden of Eden and got that uh, all started for us. And then last week, Kevin talked about the fall of Adam and therefore all of mankind into sin. So just some, some big topics right off the bat. And this brings us now to Genesis chapter 4. And this is the story of Cain and Abel. Now just so I know who my audience is here this morning, how many of you have at least heard of Cain and Abel? <clears throat> All right, virtually everybody, I think. I mean, I think uh, that stands to reason. I- I've come to find that even people that aren't raised in the church and don't have a Christian background have at least heard of Cain and Abel, you know, the, the first murder, right? Well, we're going to talk about this. Um, let's, let's look at Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. Let's start with the first five verses. Um, Genesis 4, 1 through 5. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she, she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten with the help of the Lord... Or I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I mean, she sounds kind of surprised, but imagine, you know what, you know, first human birth ever. Um, And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord, let's see, yeah, there we go. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Let's pray. Well, God, creator of the universe, creator of our souls, lover of our souls, we we just come to you this morning, and, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you. For your grace of creation, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. I thank you for your, your wonderful, beautiful word. Lord, it just blows my mind to think that the creator of the universe has communicated to us. Lord, help us not to take this book for granted as just a book. Lord, it is from you, communication, revelation from you to us. Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you that, that we are able to to meet here today and to bring you praise, to bring you worship, to bring you offering, Lord. And, and God, the more I study this, the more I realize that offerings aren't for your benefit, but for ours. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. In, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let me summarize what's going on here in these first few verses. Cain and Abel were born after their parents were expelled from the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out, right? Kevin talked about this last week. And Adam and Eve were expelled from from the garden and the tree of life, and, and now they're in the real world, right? It's not paradise anymore. They're in the real world. Things aren't as easy. And they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now Cain, he eventually became a worker of the soil, while his brother became a shepherd. And you know, back then, you really only had two options for a career. You know, not a lot of. It's not not like you could go to the local university and, and choose from many different majors to uh, to focus on. Back then, you, you really only had two options. You either worked with plants, you know, growing and harvesting, farming, or you worked with animals, either raising them or hunting them. Those really, your only two options, and and these continue today, right? They continue today, um, especially here in Nebraska. People love. Uh, farming and planting and gardening and people love raising animals and hunting animals. And my son, Ethan, is, he, he loves both of these. He loves you know, He's always wanting to plant a garden. He's always wanting to go out and, and go hunting. You know, it's kind of interesting. My, my dad, he was raised in Los Angeles and moved here as a young man, as a young adult. And so he didn't grow up uh, hunting. He, was, he spent most of his, his time on the beach, right? So, you know, he wasn't a hunter and so therefore, as I grew up, I, I didn't I didn't go hunting, and so I, you know, I didn't have this to pass along to Ethan. Well, one day, it was after we moved here, since I've been working here, I started working here in 2006, and one day, I think Ethan was five or six years old, and he woke up one morning, and all he could talk about was hunting. That's all he wanted to do, and I thought, well, this is just a... a, a passing fad, just a phase he's going through, but days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and that's all I could do, and is just wanted to talk about hunting. He's like, Dad, tell me bedtime stories about me and you going hunting and having these hunting adventures, and I didn't even really know anything about hunting, and, uh, but he kept wanting to, to talk about this until finally, uh, thankfully, some, some men here from the church uh, invited me to go on some hunting expeditions with them, <laughs> you know, tried to teach me a little bit about what was going on, and, and so I learned a little bit, and and to this day I take Ethan out a few times a year and, and uh, you know so I go hunting I'm not saying I'm good at it by any means uh, hunting is different than well bringing home food for the family well I don't bring home food for the family <laughs> but, uh, but we go out in the wilderness with uh, some guns sometimes but, um, but I'm not a good hunter but we go out and Ethan loves it and it gives us something to do I'll tell you who is a phenomenal hunter this is kind of a side note here on our very staff Tim Peterson if, I don't know if you know Tim but, man, this guy, if I was ever in a survival situation and my life is on the line, I want Tim Peterson on my side because, man, he, 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 he makes his own bows. He makes his own arrows and arrowheads. And, and He makes it all from scratch, from scratch. And then he goes out and hunts with this, and he does bring home food for his family. It's just crazy. Sometimes he makes chili out of it, too, and brings it here for the staff. It's really good, really hot. But, uh, you know, my point is, Back then, you really only had two options, and these continue today, especially for so many here in Nebraska. Well, the day came to make an offering to God, and Cain and Abel brought their tributes to God. And Abel brought the finest lamb from his flock, a, a lamb that he was so proud of. You know, and, and this is just speculation, but maybe, maybe Abel loved this lamb the way we love our pets today. I, I don't know, but but I do know that this was a sacrifice for Abel. But this was a sacrifice that he, he wanted to make because God was his God. He, he wasn't worshiping other things. This was an offering. It, it was given with a joyful heart, but it was a sacrifice. For Abel, this wasn't just an offering. It was a sacrifice in the truest sense of the, wor- the word. Abel offered his best to his creator. With a joyful heart, but again, it was a sacrifice. I don't want you to miss that. But miss that now. Cain, on the other hand, also brought an offering from the land he farmed. It was good, but it definitely wasn't his best—the best that he could have brought to God. Cain could have done better, but for some reason, probably selfish motivations, he chose not to. Well, perhaps he thought that an all-knowing and omniscient God wouldn't notice. I I don't know, but, you know, it seems that Cain held God in small regard. He didn't hold him in proper regard. And, and, And other things seem to be more important to Cain. I think we can relate to this. I know I can. You know, our little love for God and small regard of him is the root of our sin. We place idols in front of God. Cain did it. We do it today, I know I do it. We are too consumed with ourselves and this world. We need to reflect upon God's goodness. Don't be consumed on ourselves. Don't be self-focused, but be focused on God, on His character, on His goodness, His greatness. Your life will be transformed when we do that. Romans 8.8 8 says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're focused on your flesh, have fun worshiping God. It's impossible. You can't do it. You can't do it. Those who are on the flesh cannot please God. But David says in Psalm 139, 17 and 18, he says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. So here we see two different things. Somebody who's focused on their own flesh and somebody who is focused on God's thoughts, on his character. Cain was consumed with himself and the things of this world. He wasn't worshiping God. He was selfish. This is the epitome of being selfish. We put ourselves in front of God. We become worshipers of ourselves instead of worshipers of God. Can anybody relate to this? I can. Paul says that he's the worst of all sinners. I'm giving him a run for his money. I know I can relate to this, and I'm a pastor. Well, how can we change this? How can we change? You know, Romans 12, 2 says that we need to be transformed. We need to change. How? By the renewing of our minds. It's by what we think. It's what we think about. And how do we do it? Well, for me, it's helped me so much. And I would just encourage you guys, too, to to commit time to read Scripture. This is in your bulletin notes. Committing time to read Scripture so we think God's thoughts after Him. I think that's the first step. I'd also encourage meditating on key attributes and actions of God. You know, as I've been working on my studies um, recently, I realized there's, there's two ways to grow here. And one is to be in God's word. Be in this awesome word. I've talked about it before, how we know this is God's word and it's life-changing. You gotta be in, the, don't just think of this as a book, but this is the creator of the universe. He's revealed himself to you. Through this message, you've got to spend time in this book. This is the first, first way, the, the first thing you can do to change, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another thing that I love to do is, is to think about what we call uh, perfect being theology because that's what God is. He's the perfect, the maximal being. And I just think about his goodness and his character. And when you think about what it means to be a perfect being as the Bible teaches about God. You can for me, my, I see this bigger, beautiful picture of him. And I just fall in more love with him. So, we, you know, for instance, I love to think about his goodness. I think I put it here in your bulletin notes. One thing that, I, that I've done recently is I think about how good he is and, and how powerful he is and how he can even use our evil actions for his glory, or for the greatest good, and for the good of those that love him. I mean, God can use evil and pain and suffering for good, even when we cause it. You know, last Sunday night, um, Kevin had asked me to, to preach at Overflow, and he wanted me to talk about the problem of evil and, and pain and suffering. Why would a good God allow pain, evil, and suffering into the world? Well, before, uh, before I got up to speak, Kevin baptized several uh, college students, and each of these college students stood up here on stage, and they gave a testimony, and almost each one of them talked about all the pain, evil, and suffering that they had encountered in life and how all this pain, evil, and suffering had pushed them into the loving arms of their creator, had pushed them into the arms of Jesus and how through these hard times they've fallen in love with Jesus and they put their trust in Jesus and how their lives have been radically transformed by Jesus. And then they're up here preaching about Jesus so other people will hear that truth and that their lives would be transformed by Jesus too. And, and I just thought, wow, God used all this pain, evil, and suffering to transform their lives for eternity. And so that they could share this to others whose lives could be transformed from eternity. And I got up here and I said, I don't think I need to preach a sermon anymore because don't we see how God uses pain, evil, and suffering in our lives for the greatest good? It was, it was overwhelming. It was evident. It was evident that God does us, I just like to think about God's attributes and how good and powerful he is. And when I do that and I get in God's word, I know that my thoughts, that my life is transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I just encourage everybody to do the same thing. Well, back to the story. Long long story short, God accepted Abel's offering with favor, but he rejected the offering of Cain. You know, the problem that God had with Cain's offering wasn't that it was from the ground or or that God prefers meat over vegetables. That that wasn't the problem. It, It wasn't even that his offering wasn't enough compared to his brother's. I think the problem that God had with Cain's offering actually had nothing to do with the offering itself. Rather, it had to do with Cain's heart. You see, Abel... Had brought the very best that he could possibly give to God. And he did so willingly, without hesitation. He did it with a joyful heart. Even though it was a sacrifice, it was still his joy to give this to his Creator. What matters to God is not what is in our hands, but what's in our hearts. That's what God's looking for, not what is in your hands. But what is in your heart? Cain, he intentionally did not bring his best. And he probably even gave that grudgingly. Can any of you relate to that? I'm going to tell you, I'm not just preaching to you guys this morning. I'm preaching to myself. Because I know I can relate to Cain. Sometimes, sometimes I don't want to give my best. And even what I do give, I give that grudgingly when it comes to time, treasure, talents. I mean, what do you, what do you give to God? Do you give it with a joyful heart? Do you give, give what you do give grudgingly? I'm guilty. I mean, even when it comes to money, I'm so blessed. Because if it wasn't for, for you, I wouldn't have a job. I work here at the, at the church full time. Um, you guys provide the, the staff's salary. Thank you. And, and I'm just so humbled and, and blessed to consider how you guys give to the church. And I know so many of you give with such joy. It blows my mind. And then for me, who, who receives the blessings of being able to work full-time, to study God's Word full-time, to be able to give it back to you guys because of your gifts, but then I, I want to sit back and, and give what I give grudgingly? It blows my mind. How hypocritical can I be? But I think we can all relate to this at times, can't we? You know, I'm related, no, i had a related note, I had a young man not long ago. Uh, you know, he, he loved coming to me and asking me questions about God and the Bible and uh, he found it really refreshing to have his answers or his questions answered, I should say. And you know, I started inviting him to come to church. He wasn't coming to church at all. And, and I said, why don't you come to church? He goes, no, I'm not gonna come to a church that asks for money. I'm like, well, we don't want your money if you don't want to give it. That's between you and God. That's a, you know, are you giving, you're not given to the church, you're giving to God, right? He goes, well, I'm just not going to go to a church that even takes an offering. And I'm like, I asked my friend, I said, do you like asking me questions about God and the Bible and having your questions answered? He goes, oh yeah. I said, how do you think that happens? Do you think we're funded by the government? <laughs> Thank God we're not, right? <laughs> um... <laughs> But but, uh, that's what I asked. You think we're funded by the government? I said, it's because people joyfully give offerings to God, to the church, which allows me to focus on this full time. I get to study God's Word. I get to study theology. I get to prepare lesson plans. I do this every day. So people give so I can study to give back to the body of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. We are one body of Christ here today right? Whoever's on preaching on stage is no, I mean, we're one body. We are equals, right? I'm big on talking about how we're all created equal in God's image. That's, that's the truth. We are one body here today. Amen is right. I thank you for your offerings. And when it comes to Cain's offering to God, I think the exact same offering may have been completely acceptable if it was in fact the best that Cain could have done and if he would have offered it with a joyful heart and attitude. Luke 16, 13 makes it clear. No servant can serve two masters. I think Cain was struggling with this. He was serving his flesh. He was serving things of the world. And because of that, he could not really serve God. God knew what was in his heart. You cannot serve two masters. Luke sixteen thirteen. here goes on to say you cannot serve both God and money. But, you know, take money out and fill that blank in with anything. You cannot serve both God and whatever. It's impossible. Your flesh, money, your time, treasure, talents, whatever. Abel was cooperative and generous. He looked forward to living his life for God's glory and demonstrating this to him. Abel eagerly looked forward to giving to God. And it seems that Abel not only provided a good offering, but it seems to me that that Abel lived his life as an offering to God, a living sacrifice. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice, living your life for God, not just on Sunday mornings, but all of it. Cain, on the other hand, was selfish and miserly, Cain chose not to bring his best to God. How often do we come to God and come to church with a lack of motivation to be here, to give him the worship that he ought to receive? Remember I talked about we ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. That is the right thing to do. But how often do we come here, even to church, with other motivations? with other things on our mind? How often do we come here not motivated to give God the worship that he ought to receive, the worship that he does deserve? Are we giving our best to God? Do we live our lives, all of our lives, for God's glory? Not just on Sundays or on Wednesday nights for the youth group kids, but all of our lives. Are we giving our best to God, our time, our treasure, our talents, our worship, are you giving your best to God? What about time? How do you spend your time? If there's anything that you spend your time on that doesn't bring glory to God, maybe you should reconsider spending your time doing that. How do you spend your time? I'll tell you what, we are so blessed to have so many here in the church body spending their time as an offering here at the church. There's so many ministries that go on other than getting, you know, having a sermon on Sunday mornings. Throughout the week, I don't know if you drive by here, but most nights the place has, is packed, especially on Wednesdays, it's crazy. But there's things here going on every night virtually. But we couldn't do that if it wasn't for the body of Christ investing their time as an offering in the body of Christ, in the church. So thank you for doing that. And there's other ministries that still need more time. For instance, uh, our middle school ministry right now, Jordan is doing an awesome job, but man, he needs help. That, that, that group is growing. We need more adults that love Jesus, that know about Jesus, that love kids and can relate to kids, even these crazy middle schoolers, right? And we, we need people to invest their time as an offering to God in that way. And so, other, so many other ways too. If you're feeling called to that, talk to Jordan or, or myself. What about treasure? For, for Americans, that usually means our money. How are you, are, are, do you honor God with your money? I'm not talking about just 10% not talking about 10%. Am I talking, I'm talking about 100% of your money. Are you honoring God with all of it? If you're spending all, your money on anything, and I'm, I'm thankful that God allows us to, you know, I mean, I'm thankful to have some things that I enjoy, right? <clears throat> but if there's something that you're spending your money on that brings dishonor to God, maybe you shouldn't spend your money on it. It's between you and him. But are you honoring God with your treasure? What about your talents? I talk about all the time that God has created each one of us with one objective purpose, one main purpose that you and each of us were created for, and that's to know, love, and enjoy a relationship with our Creator through Jesus for all eternity. That's why you were created, and to do anything other than that is to waste your life. So that's the main purpose, but God gives us all different specific gifts and talents to fulfill that objective purpose with, to fulfill our main purpose with. So we've all got gifts, we've all got talents. You might be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I don't, I'm not gifted, I'm not talented, I don't have any of these things. Well, you're wrong, you're believing a lie, you might just not have found out what you're good at yet, what God's gifted you at yet, but you all have something, I promise you. But are you living are you using your talents and your gifts as an offering to god you know how do you worship god is worship to you just sunday mornings when we're singing songs i'll tell you what i know kent sunberg and and matt demoret and our other worship leaders it's their heart's desire to help us move past only seeing singing songs as praise and worship that's part of it and, and it's a great part but praise and worship is so much more. It, it, it should just over, overflow everything that you do in life. Everything that you do should be praise and worship. I think of uh, one of my friends who's a, one of the CrossFit coaches at the, at the gym. I like to work out. I, I like to do CrossFit. And uh, it's kind of, I don't know if you're aware of or ever have seen any of this on ESPN or whatever. But it's crazy workouts. And sometimes you just feel like, man, I just can't get through this workout I, almost every time. And Taya O'Brien, she told me, when I'm doing CrossFit and I feel like I can't go on anymore, I think about Jesus carrying that cross. Talk about putting the cross in CrossFit, right? But she said, I think about Jesus carrying that cross for me, and if he could do that for me, I could get through this workout. I'm going to focus on Jesus as I work out. I'm going to work out. I'm gonna, my workout is going to be worship, To my Creator today, whatever it is you do, if you can do that in a workout, whatever it is that you're doing, worship God with it, all of it. Can we look at our lives and say that we are giving all that we have and all that we are to God? We need to evaluate our lives, and I don't know about you, but I can relate to Cain. And like I said, I'm a pastor. I bet most of us can. Like Cain, we often come before God with sinful attitudes and motives. And like Cain, we all need repentance and forgiveness from Jesus. We all need Jesus. Acts 3.19 says, Repent so that your sins may be blotted out. What does repent mean? It means to change, right? You know, and, and we looked at Romans 12 to be transformed. That's what it's talking about, this change. You need to repent to change your life, so that your sins may be blotted out. It's only through Jesus. And Cain needed this too. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, but Cain was way before Jesus. No, well, I'll tell you, anybody that has a personal relationship with God, it's only through the atoning work of Jesus, even if they lived before Jesus. I'm not going to get into all that this morning. If you, want, if you want those logical dots connected, come to my Sunday school class. That's the type of thing that we talk about. But it's only through Jesus that anybody only through the atonement the life death and resurrection of jesus that anybody can have a personal relationship with jesus let's get back to the text Rome, or genesis 4 6 through 8 Do we got it i will look it up the old fashioned way there it is okay the lord said to cain why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Well, wow, wow. Why do you think Cain took such drastic actions to kill his brother, his very own brother? In verses 4 and 5, we see that God looked with favor on Abel and did not look with favor on Cain. Well, perhaps there's just a little bit of jealousy at the root of this murder. I don't know. But the bottom line is this. Cain let sin creep into his life and reign in his life. Cain did not take his thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5, I've told you before, it's my favorite Bible verse. I love this verse because as an apologist and philosopher, it uh, it, it gives biblical support for what I spend so much of my time doing, right? And, And that is, Paul says, we destroy every argument raised against the knowledge of God. Okay, but let's focus on the second part of this verse right now. Take your thoughts captive to obey Christ. Take your thoughts captive. Cain did not do this. Cain let let sin creep into his life. He let lies creep into his mind. He believed these lies, and he acted on these lies, and that's called sin. And let me tell you, sin kills. It literally killed here. (laughs) But sin kills. It separates us from the source of life, God. Let's look at verse 7. What a powerful verse. Young man, Aaron Peterson, uh, who's he's at school now, uh, Pastor Timson, this is his favorite verse. Um, and uh, and he, I remember him telling me this a few years ago. And it re- I really started, when he told me this was his favorite verse, I, I started meditating on it too. And I thought, wow, how powerful is this? Well, you know, again, God is giving Cain a warning here. God's omniscient, you know, he knows that Cain's going to kill his brother. But he's telling him, you don't have to. You don't have to. You are free not to do that. He knows he's going to. And there's a difference between you knowing that he will and still being free to do it and come to my Sunday school class, okay. But, um, but again, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Hey, wake up. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But what's he say? you must subdue it. You must master it. You don't have to sin. Fight it. Fight sin. Subdue it. Master it. Genesis 4-7, let's compare that to the New Testament verse, 1 Peter 5-8. Good way to remember it, Genesis 4-7, 1 Peter 5-8. Anyway, helps me to remember. Um, What's it say, 1 Peter 5-8? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. These verses are virtually identical. (laughs) Sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must subdue it and master it. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Hmm. You know, Resist sin. Resist Satan. Fight the good fight. Don't believe lies. Take your thoughts captive before they take you captive. Second Corinthians ten five 5 tells us to take our thoughts captive, but Colossians 2, 8 tells us not to be taken captive by shallow and deceitful philosophy. Now, again, I'm a philosopher. I love philosophy, but true philosophy. And this tells us not to be taken captive by shallow and deceitful philosophy. Lies. Don't be taken captive. Take your thoughts captive before they take you. It's the battle that you're in, whether you like it or not. Satan is your enemy. He's crouching at your door. He's waiting for you to give him an opportunity to entice you away from God. You have an enemy that hates you. Do you realize that? He hates you. He wants you to believe lies to keep you separated from God, the greatest good you could ever know and experience. He's the father of lies. He attacks with lies. And this is why we've got to take our thoughts captive to obey Christ before they take us. You know, I think Satan believes his own lies. He's the father of lies, right? <laughs> you know, so many people say, well, Satan knows that in the end he's going to lose. Well, I don't know if that's true. I mean, have you ever told a lie before, told it several times, you start to believe it? I remember when I was little, there was this lie that I thought was fun to tell, you know, because I like to see everybody's reaction. Well, I started telling it so much that I started to believe it. And if Satan is the father of lies, well, why can't he fall prey to self-deception? Maybe he thinks he's got a shot. Well, he's wrong, <laughs> but maybe that's why I tried so hard. I don't know. I don't know about that, but I do know this. You are in a war if you like it or not. And we need to evaluate our lives. Is sin dominating our thoughts, our actions, our behavior? Or is God reigning in our life? Let's get back to the text. Genesis 4, start with verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. I'm going to stop there. I just want to focus on this. Can you believe that, that Cain, he got an attitude with God here. Am I my brother's keeper? On top of that, he's lying to God. Cain, I mean, God knew. He's omniscient, right? But he, you know, he's going to ask Cain this question. What have you done? And Cain's like, I don't know. You know, you know he's, he's telling God that he's lying to God. And then he gets an attitude with him. He lies. Let me tell you, sin is stupid. When God is perfectly intelligent, He's omniscient. He, he does not sin, all right? And when we sin, it's because we don't know truth. That, therefore, it makes sin stupid. It really does. It makes us stupid. Um, so sin is stupid. Lying is a sin. Therefore, lying is stupid, right? Lying gets us in a lot of trouble. Have you ever been caught in a lie? You know, and Cain lies to God Almighty, who knows the truth about everything. Talk about being stupid, On top of that, he gets a little mouthy with God saying, am I my brother's keeper, God? (laughs) Can you imagine lying to God and getting mouthy and lippy with him? Cain did. And God does not simply look past Cain and his attitude, his jealousy, his murder, and now the lies. Here's the thing, you cannot run from God, you cannot hide from God, you cannot lie to God. He's omniscient and he knows your heart, your thoughts, he knows every single little thing about you. Now, I know sometimes I'm guilty of lying to him anyway. You know, we come to church, I know sometimes I do, and and we we say things like, God, I will live for you. God, I will devote my life to you. God, I'm going to follow you. But then we leave the church, and our thoughts say something different. We lie to God. Our actions say something different. We lie to God. Our very lives. Say something different. I'll tell you what, Americans think that we don't worship idols because we don't typically bow to golden carved statues or whatever. I'll tell you this, I think Americans are the greatest idol worshipers in the history of the world. That's right. We worship idols. And I'll tell you this, I know so many Americans who call themselves Christians who worship idols just as much as anybody else does. And I see that this happen all the time across America, and this is one reason why atheism is growing in America today, because our actions speak louder than our words, and the unbelieving world sees our actions and says, yeah, right. Why do we do this? I, I think it's because of, we don't really have God in the throne of our lives. We hold God in small regard, and we worship other things. Our small regard for God manifests itself in how we use God's good gifts to worship him and and to bring him glory. God gives us all we have and deserves our complete worship. We ought to depend on the one who depends on no one. I encourage you to to, to study Psalm 115 and, and contemplate this. But you see, we hold back from God because we doubt that He is good and that He will continue to provide for us. We have doubts, right? But James 1 6 says the one who doubts is driven and tossed by the wind I mean if you it's one thing to have doubts I mean Thomas had doubts right but as soon as he saw Jesus man he worshipped he worshipped Jesus he wasn't he didn't stay doubting Thomas for long now sometimes it's one thing to have doubts I've had them in the past but to just say oh I have a doubt and just leave it that's not good you're gonna be tossed around like crazy Oh, there are answers I've devoted my life to showing why you don't need to have doubts. How can we believe God? How can we doubt God? How can we believe God will hold back blessings when he put forth his son to die for us while we still hated him? Not just to die for us, but he rose from the dead. By the way, we have historical evidence for this. (laughs) How can we doubt God that he would do this? How can we continue to doubt him when he has done this? The righteous for the unrighteous is what First Peter 3.18 says. And we still doubt him? God is so good, but we still battle worshiping things instead of the creator of all things. I know that I've done this. Even, like I said, I was hired here in I think in 06, and for even the first few years after that, I still struggled with worshiping things Instead of the creator of all things, and I feel like in the last couple of years, God has really worked in my life and is such a burden lifted off my shoulders, such a relief to finally have God in the proper throne of my life. And let me tell you, I was a pastor when this was going on, so it won't surprise me at all to think that this is something that we all struggle with, but it's such a relief to worship the creator of all things instead of the things that he's given us to enjoy, put things in their proper perspective. I can be like Cain. So my challenge to you today, this morning, is this. Be like Abel. Be like Abel. Even if it leads to death like it did for Abel, be like Abel. Live your life as a living sacrifice, a a living offering to your creator. Is God the king of your life? Is he the love of your life? Live your life as an offering. Worship God with your time, your treasure, your talents. Not just 10% of it, but worship God with all of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you for, for sharing the story of, of Cain and Abel with us, Lord, that we could learn from it thousands of, year, of years later. And, and Lord, it seems that from the very beginning of humanity that we've been struggling with putting our flesh and and things of this world in front of you, that we've been struggling with not giving our best to you. And with what we do give, we give it grudgingly. Lord, we are so selfish. And, Lord, I know that even those of us that, that know you, we still struggle with this. It is a battle We've got to take our thoughts captive. We've got to know truth that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on you, that you would help us to spend time in your beautiful word, that you would transform our lives, that we would live our lives, not just 10% of it, but with our time, treasure, and talents, with everything that we are, that we would worship you with all that we are, with all that we have, that, that our entire lives and everything that we have would be given to you as an offering. And that you would be pleased with it. That it would bring you glory and that, uh, that this world would be transformed because this world would see us living for you, worshiping you, giving our offerings to you, loving you, and being loved by you. Lord, we need you and we love you and we do ask you to keep transforming us by renewing our minds. Help us to take our thoughts captive to obey you, and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.